Another edition of Beat the Closing Number presented by TheLines.com. You can follow us on Twitter at TheLinesUS. You can follow our sub-in co-host, the sub for Mo Noir, who's on poker duty today, I guess. Steven Andres on Twitter. Is it at Steven Andres one, Steven, or am I yeah, I lost. I lost the original to a uh, to a Russian bot at some point. So we're we're at Stephen Andrus one at this point. And hey, good luck to Mo. I mean, six figure payout if he takes this thing down. He's down to the final table, six left. So good use of a half day. We'll we'll allow it. <laughs> Stephen is the boss, so he is allowing <laughs> Mo, like he said, to take that day off. Remember to give the video a thumbs up and ring the bell to get notifications whenever the Lions releases a new sports betting video on any market, including the NFL, just like this one. And we have maybe baseball playoffs coming up. And Steven does his podcast too, the Megapod with Matt Brown and Adam Candy. I think is how you pronounce his last name, right? That's correct. Yep. Adam Candy. All right. First times ago for me on on that pronunciation. So if you're new to the podcast, beat the closing number. Here's how we do things on Mondays. We break down some of the biggest line movement along with a handful of games that have attracted our interest so far. We have four games to discuss along with a few where the line has seen significant movement in regards to the key number of a touchdown or a field goal. And then we'll hit on, like I mentioned, four or so games that Spark our interest if we have time. Steven has a futures bat individual player award that he is taking a peek at here ahead of week number three. But Steven, looking at a few games of note here that we've seen some adjustment to the look ahead line. And one's not necessarily around the key number, at least the one that we're starting around with Chargers and Vikings. LA was favored on the look ahead line. One and a half point road favorite in Minnesota. Battle of 0-2 teams. Now it's Minnesota minus one and a half, minus one at some shops. There is a, I think, a Chargers minus one still available. So I know, Stephen, you were messaging me before we got started, and we'll get your thoughts on a second, just in terms of if you were looking to take LA or Minnesota on a teaser leg, maybe still need to wait on that in terms of getting the hook either way. Minnesota, a league worst Minus six in regards to turnover differential. Buffalo out from minus five and a half on the look ahead line. Now to minus seven at Washington and Bengals Rams. Probably the most significant movement of the bunch. Cincinnati was minus seven and a half on the look ahead over a touchdown favorite at home against the LA Rams. It's reopened or it actually reopened after the first couple set of games so after the late afternoon games finished yesterday it reopened at Bengals minus six and a half then this morning it dipped down to minus three and a half with the conclusion that Burrow could miss the game after he re-injured his calf and then as of what 10-15 minutes ago after Schefter reported that Burrow could very well miss this game and of course when you have a major newsbreaker like that go to Twitter with News like that, the line's going to dip even further, even though the injury may be already baked in. And it's under the key number of three now at Bengals minus two and a half, minus two. So of those three games, Steven, obviously Bengals-Rams is going to stick out. But anything of interest to you from a betting perspective? 
Yeah, just just a side note, if it's not Joe Burrow, it's rookie Jake Browning out of Washington as the backup, and they do have Will Greer, the preseason hero from Dallas, on their practice squad. So that's that's what we're looking <laughs> at if it's not Joe Burrow. So um, you know, and, and also keep in mind when it comes to calf injuries, that can lead to an Achilles if you're not careful. It's exactly what happened with Aaron Rodgers with a calf injury that didn't quite heal all the way and unfortunately popped in week one. So I'm sure that's on the mind of the Bengals trainers and coaching staff as well here, um, just with the high risk of of making this even worse than a calf injury out there. Um, it, it happens all the time. And it's the one injury where NFL teams are, are typically extremely cautious with because of the, the possibility of a season-ending injury if they're not. Um, the Chargers-Vikings game, right, Eli? Two two desperate teams here. Two teams that we would agree, I think, both have played well offensively other than the turnovers for the Vikings. They've been great in yards per play. And the line movement here is very um, just notable for me because it appears any chance we had of, of a Vikings teaser leg up to 7.5 looks like it's out the window already here at lunchtime on Monday. And if you're going to play the teaser, you're going to have to like the chargers because it looks like we're moving in that direction. Uh, there was kind of market split on who the favorite should be in this game, but at least the early week line movement now is going to install the Vikings as a favorite, which makes sense to me. I mean, the chargers defense has not looked good in the first couple of weeks. The Vikings, you know, I think home field is mostly overstated at this point. Uh, when it comes to betting the NFL. But if there is one team that it seems there's a consensus on that should get at least a little bit of a bump uh, or more of a bump than other places, it is Minnesota. So, you know, I, I think anywhere around a pick them here is probably correct. But with a high total, maybe you don't want to take the Chargers on a teaser leg there. And and lastly, you know, that Buffalo game, Eli, you know, Mo hit the nail on the head. This is why we do the look ahead column with the lines.com to note some games where we think there is definitely a chance to get closing line value if you want to just take the chance that the quarterback won't get hurt in the game if you want to bet it on the look ahead and and he was right on the money the bills minus five and a half on the look ahead now up to six and a half uh, there is a seven on the board as well i'm very curious if this closes at six and a half eli or if buffalo at washington will close seven yeah it's a good point so just a couple notes for me on the few games you mentioned first off with Bills at Washington. I thought some of the negative comments in regards to, not really from betters per se. I know maybe you lowered Buffalo in your power ratings over at the lines.com NFL power rankings that we all have a say in each week. You dip Buffalo maybe lower than the rest of us. I, I thought the hate towards the Bills after week one was, again, a little too much for my liking, just because, especially when you consider that the market was in love with the Raiders, at least up until kick on Sunday morning, up until the game kicked off in the early afternoon slate because Buffalo closed as, I think, a seven-point favorite. And Josh Allen has historically struggled. Granted, it's a smaller sample size when it comes to Robert Sala's tenure with the Jets. But when you look at how Allen has underperformed against the Jets in the three games he's played against that Sala-led defense when it comes to facing pressure and having issues with it versus other defensive fronts and dealing with pressure and being able to escape outside the pocket. So it seemed like to me going into that game in the first place that Salah had his number. But I digress on that game. 
going back to Bengals Rams and what Baltimore did yesterday. I know Burrow is getting a lot of the headlines as he should. And it seemed like he tweaked that calf. And to your point, you don't want to have any sort of torn ACL and completely Achilles bomb your season. If you're the Bengals. So sitting him out against the Rams, especially with LA secondary being below league average and them some, then some, especially at cornerback seems pretty fitting. And maybe you consider the Bengals under the key number of a field goal, even with a below average replacement level quarterback, whether it's Browning or whomever starting for Burrow. But the Bengals secondary continues to underwhelm after losing their starting safety duo going back to last year and the last few years with Jesse Bates and Von Bell. They allowed 7.2 yards per attempt to Lamar Jackson and even before the injury to Burrow and especially afterwards, McDonald's game plan and John Harbaugh at that, what they were able to do, and we saw this going back to last year, playing that split safety zone coverage, which zone has seemingly always given Burrow issues, but the Ravens' game plan going back to the last three times or four times, I guess, including the playoff game, I think it's been phenomenal. And again, it's been an issue for Burrow when it comes to facing zone coverage. And then lastly, with the Chargers and the Vikings, I don't know how I'm trying to bet this game because if I do end up betting it at all, and it's so funny, the market has already taken a position on Minnesota after the market continuously bet against the Vikings when they were reasonably lucky last year and now they're unlucky even though the regression monster in the turnover department may just be going the other way so this is maybe two weeks you in a row Eli two weeks in a row the market's coming in on the Vikings they move that number a lot against the Eagles on Thursday night yeah and they well I guess when you look at the closing number at five and a half the Eagles did cover that but for anybody that got Minnesota throughout the week for the most part ended up covering on the Vikings so yeah it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out because maybe again this just boils down to the Vikings you don't always see it where the market going into the season on one team where a team faces this much regression like we've seen from the Vikings when it comes to turnovers over the first couple of games, I mean, minus six in the turnover department speaks for itself after sitting at least above average when it came to takeaways and plus turnovers last year for that Vikings defense that, again, was putrid besides the turnover luck that they got. And when we saw second half point differential and especially that comeback against the Colts late season and I think a Saturday or Christmas Eve, whatever it was. So I'm not particularly interested on Minnesota when it comes to this week. But if you want to take a look at the Chargers on a teaser lag or if this flips back to L.A. and maybe taking a look at Minnesota, I I don't blame you. Yeah, for me, it's it's an interesting conversation because coming into the year, this is a 13 win team that basically everybody that's in the sports betting world would agree vastly outperformed that number of wins that they got. They had a negative point differential for the year. It was kind of a historic situation where, you know, variants went their way. Um, but at the same time, I kind of disagreed with with rating them as around a 500 team. They 13 wins down to eight would be, you know, an under on their win total. 
eight and a half was what was out there on the market. I said, I, I think there's going to be regression. I'm just not sure there's going to be five win regression. So it's interesting now that with the prices that we're getting with Minnesota in the market, perhaps more people agree with me on that because, you know, I could certainly see in a situation like week one where Minnesota is a big favorite, not being interested in backing that because of the issues they have on defense, because of uh, Cousins' propensity to turn the ball over. But then the last couple of weeks, big dog to the Eagles, uh, despite the Eagles being a little banged up. And now to start the week, home dog against the Chargers, who don't have a great defense. And Minnesota, through two weeks, has moved the ball better than everybody except the Miami Dolphins. So um, if they do clean up those turnovers, absolutely they should win this game. So it, it's just an interesting situation where, you know, maybe the pendulum's going back the other way where the fading of the Vikings in the market has gone too far and now we're back to having some interest on them. One thing to note in regards to that game would be the Vikings offensive line with Derrissaw potentially being out and Bradbury, especially against that Chargers defensive front yeah. led by Joey Bosa. So because the Chargers would have a mismatch there True. as seemingly every team does, especially the Eagles on Thursday night football, getting pressure on cousins a lot in that first half in particular. But Steven, before we get into four or so games that we want to hit on, maybe a futures bet that you're interested in. Want to do a quick recap on how Mo and I did going back to week two. We're four and three on the season, I believe. I ended up splitting in week two, lost Denver, and congratulations to you and every single commander's backer out there, Broncos. Blew a 21 3 lead. I was I weirdest I was game ever. Pretty. Absolutely weirdest game ever. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you can get into that for a quick sec. But, uh, and then I also, I got maybe, I don't even want to say unlucky with Denver because of how they collapsed. I don't really put too much of that on Russell Wilson. Denver's defense was a big part of that collapse, too. But I got fortunate a bit. I thought the handicap was good, even without Phillips. In for the Dolphins defensive front, they were able to get a lot of pressure on that banged up Patriots offensive line and the Patriots defense held up, even though their cornerback depth was tested throughout that game on the injury front. But under 46 and a half got home for me on a hair, a centimeter and then some probably on the pitch back from Gusecki to the Patriots offensive lineman that again was stopped inches short of the mark marker on review it wasn't even on the initial call so I'll take it and I'll run with it I'll take a split how did your bets go in week two Steven around 500 honestly it's funny uh you know I sprayed and prayed in week two I, I bet a lot of stuff <laughs> uh and and when sprayed a, a, and prayed <laughs> to be taken out of context yeah. just to say that <laughs> well just uh I stole that from Rich Ryan our buddy over at on the gridiron gamble show who okay. uh, Mo and, and Brett Colson are co-hosts on as well I, I, I think it's hilarious but um yeah pending the Browns who I got at a decent price on the money line earlier this week so waiting on that on Monday Night Football as we record right now. But uh, we get that home. We'll have another above 500 week. You know, going back to that Washington-Denver game, I mean, 10 yards per play for the Broncos in the first half. And I just, like, turned it off. I just 
checked the box score at halftime just to make a note of it, thinking it was a blowout and moved on. And I was like, wow, Denver looks good offensively, which was what my concern was coming into the game. And I was dead wrong about that. Now, the other concern I have about Denver certainly came to fruition, especially in the second half. It seemed like the market assumption has been that you can just assume that the Broncos will have just as good of a defense as they had last year. And that if they get some improvement from Sean Payton on offense, then then we're talking about maybe an above 500 team here. I don't think you can assume the Broncos defense is anywhere near what they put up on the field last year. And I think a big part of that is them losing their defensive coordinator, Evero, over to the Carolina Panthers. So they they have taken a big step back here through the first couple of weeks. They had the worst pressure rate in the league in week one. Still waiting to see what the what the numbers are for week two here, but um, they got good pressure in the first half on Howell, not in the second. Yeah, half. Yeah, my eyes said, I agreed would agree with that. You know, I watched the first half and I agree with that. They definitely got some good pressure. Whatever adjustments they made at halftime, they got mollywopped in the second half. It was, you know, the final score doesn't kind of bear that out because they hit a hail mary at the end. Uh, right. But other than that, I mean, they they went from basically ten yards per play in the first half to only, you know. 4.5 for Washington to losing yards per play for the game. That's how bad they were offensively and defensively in the second half. So um, interesting to say the least. We'll see what happens. I still think Washington, I, these these teams both might be bottom five, six teams in the NFL, to be honest with you. Um, so just just my that was my biggest observation with, with Denver and Washington and uh, – <laughs> Completely wrong in the first half, completely right in the second half. Just a weird, weird game. Um, other than that, I think Tampa Bay is an interesting discussion moving forward here. I bet Tampa Bay, I thought Chicago was a, a dumpster fire. You know, plenty of evidence by the the Twitter All-22 camera crowd showing that Chicago is just not being coached properly, not being coached at an NFL level. Um, and tampa took advantage of that and moving forward i think the assumption on tampa was they're not going to win a lot of games because baker might get hurt behind a bad offensive line and you know then they might start selling off pieces well as constituted right now eli i think tampa's closer to an a league average team than the second to worst win total we saw coming into the season as long as those guys are healthy I think they are an interesting team to back as dogs here moving forward. I don't know what you think, but that's that's kind of where I'm at. That was the most interesting winning bet I had last week. Yeah, and we'll we'll touch on that game. We'll touch on the Bucks, Eagles, and Tampa's outlook. I know you were giving a look towards them in the futures market as well, not to win the NFC or anything like that, but in a crappy division, definitely warrants at least a little bit of interest and a conversation, to say the least. So. Yeah. Let's talk about some of those week three games, including Bucks Eagles. We'll wrap with the second of two Monday Night Football games, Rams, Bengals being the other. We'll also, I'll share my thoughts on Denver a little bit further along in the podcast with Broncos, Dolphins, an intriguing game, at least I think from a market perspective. Yeah. So first game we're going to touch on, Stephen, Thursday Night Football, Giants at Niners. This line spiked to 10 and a half. This morning, total between 44 and a half and 45 lineup line is up from the look ahead line. And it was sitting nine and a half last week. I think in the off season going into the 2023 campaign, I had a week one, this look ahead line was six. So we've certainly seen the market adjust to the giants, especially even with that comeback victory, 
down 20 to nothing or so in the first half to the Arizona Cardinals. San Francisco does not cover or maybe pushes in some spots. I know some people got yeah. Niners or Rams plus seven, Niners minus seven, depending on which way you want to look at it. But LA going for a field goal in the closing seconds, down by 10. God bless you. You have Sean to wonder. <laughs> Good yeah. coaches win, great co- coaches uh, cover, Eli. Simple as that. You have to wonder if he knew the point spread. <laughs> and I would say yes. I, I don't know why else you would kick a field goal in that spot and not go for a Hail Mary unless you're trying to help out people that better the Rams, people of the Rams organization. Who the hell knows? But either way, the Rams cover with some magic in the closing seconds. Shout out to Matt Gay for anybody that bet the Rams. They're definitely singing his praises this morning. So initial thoughts, Stephen, whether you have a bet or are thinking about a, a bet on this game for Giants and Niners. I think the numbers gotten away from us at this point to be interested in the Niners, um, you know, preseason even without Barkley playing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's less about Barkley and here it's a lot of freaking points, right? First of all, let's start with that. Like this is a lot of points for an NFL game. And to me, it signals that maybe the giants are not viewed in the market as the league average team, the slightly above average team that a lot of us thought they were coming into the season. I think at this point, uh, I haven't finished my power ratings for week one or for week three, but uh, the Giants are not going to be anywhere near the middle of the of the pack here for me moving forward because they just I thought from the beginning that they didn't have as much talent as a lot of people thought they did. I mean, when we're trying to rationalize Isaiah Hodgins as a good receiver, that that's kind <laughs> of a red flag. So and Darren Waller yeah. as some earth-shattering addition in the offseason being you know a, a difference maker I think is shows you what was actually in the cupboard to start with so um, regardless of Saquon Barkley this offensive line cannot block the San Francisco 49ers this defensive front for the Niners may not be at the earth-shattering level of the Cowboys from what we've seen from them to start the year but they're not far behind the, the, the Niners have a very very good top three front seven and I don't think the Giants can block them whether Barkley's getting the ball whether Breed is getting the ball or Daniel Jones is is throwing the ball so that's the starting point in this handicap for me I understand why this has gotten ballooned out and I think it's you know even though the market has kind of been against the 49ers the past couple of weeks we see we saw Pittsburgh money against the Niners in week one we saw some late Rams money coming in when they got ballooned out a little bit here I think this is two things happening at the same time, Eli. I think this is a market correction on the week one rating of the Niners and another correction on the Giants downward from what we've seen the first couple of weeks here. So uh, it's a stay away for me at this point. Yeah, a couple notes for me on the game. Number one, I got to give credit to Purdy. Although, I also want to get your opinion on this. He missed some throws. On the back end. Yeah, no, he's safe throws, but we still have yet to see. I, I'm always going to come out with the caveat. You know, I always have at least one disclaimer on beat the closing number. Of course, we've yet to <laughs> we've yet to see Purdy face adversity in terms of a double digit deficit and seeing what kind of production, what kind of output we get from him in that sort of game state. But to his credit, fourth highest dropback EPA, EPA per play among qualified quarterbacks in week two 
two spots behind Tua, who we'll get to when we break down Dolphins and Broncos. So he's performed very well over the first couple of weeks, certainly benefited from some turnovers in week one via Kenny Pickett and that Niners defense going back to their season opener. So a question still kind of sit there for me with Purdy. If San Francisco and when they do maybe go up against Dallas and if they face a deficit in that game, then what happens? Kind of like last year, he never faced a negative game script and we didn't get to see what happened in the NFC Championship game or what may have happened in the NFC Championship game had he not suffered that injury. But back to the Giants, just barely outgaining the Cardinals in yards per play despite that massive comeback. Not only do you have the Barkley injury and the potential that he's going to be out of think Rappaport considered him to be a stretch or already coined him that going into this Thursday night football game. And then Andrew Thomas also could be out, which is the Giants best left the Giants best offensive lineman, let alone their left tackle and blindside blocker for Daniel Jones. So it's a big number. Like you mentioned, just by the way, some of these spreads end up working out. Maybe you get a Giants backdoor cover if they're down by 17 and they score to make it a 10-point game in the final minute or so. Who knows? But like you mentioned, this 49ers defensive line and no key injuries of note anywhere for San Francisco in their lineup. Bosa, Armstead, Hargrave, Farrell going up against the Giants offensive line, especially if Thomas is out. I probably can't bet New York in this game. Yeah, big yikes in the trenches here in this one. Yeah, goes <laughs> I, without saying. I, I do agree with you. I think it's an open debate of whether or not the 49ers uh, can match up with the Cowboys in this year's version. Uh, for me, it's mostly because they replaced their right tackle, Colton McKivitz, who uh, is now taking over for Mike McGlinchey, and he failed miserably week one against TJ Watt. He got, you know, played like a fiddle, and Purdy was sacked three times. So against elite defenses, I'm curious if the Niners will be as good this year. But, I mean... At this point, I'm done waiting for Brock Purdy to fail because the Niners have scored 30 points in every single one of his starts except for one. He's not lost a regular season start yet. And the one start where the Niners didn't score 30 points, he went on the road on a short week to Seattle and had a passer rating over 100. So uh, whether it's him or whether it's Shanahan, it doesn't matter. It, it works. So um, I think the Niners are, are clearly a top five team in the, in the league at this point. I'm with you there. I do have them behind Baltimore, which I know you disagree with. And unfortunately, we're not going to be talking Ravens or <laughs> AFC North on this podcast. I we would be, be fine doing... with a Super Bowl rematch against the Ravens. We'll put it that way. And hopefully the lights stay on for the full game this time. <laughs> on to the second game that we're going to discuss. Broncos at Dolphins. Very intrigued by this game. Look ahead line was Miami minus six. It spiked to seven as of late last night, early this morning. Now it's back to six and a half, total anywhere between 46 and a half, 47. I know you could probably guess where I'm going with this game, Steven. And I am looking at Denver here, which probably doesn't surprise you at all. No, and I'll get no Fangio revenge factor here, man. No Fangio. Well, of course, there's going to be the Fangio revenge factor, but I'm not accounting that for my handicap. So just to give some perspective on the New England Miami game from Sunday Night Football last night as we're recording this on 
Monday afternoon here. So Miami escaped with that win on the surface because New England was driving and like we hit on from the get-go, Patriots centimeters short and probably a little bit shorter than a centimeter, a full centimeter from getting the first down and continuing that drive to potentially tie things up and get overtime against the Dolphins. But per football outsiders, New England should have had a 2% win expectancy. And they wound up missing, or that was because the Dolphins wound up missing two field goals. I I know you mentioned in our Discord channel, and people could head over to thelines.com and click on the Discord link in the top right-hand corner to see your, I think you have two bets for Monday Night Football for those listening or watching us on Monday afternoon, early Monday evening, if you want to check out the Lions Discord channel. You mentioned last night that you think the Dolphins are a Super Bowl contender. That liability at kicker for Jason Sanders, speaking of him, is I think is big and massive, especially because of what we saw last night and how New England probably shouldn't have had a prayer to be competing in that game if Sanders hits one of those two field goals. And when I say competing, I mean to have a shot to go to overtime and potentially upset Miami, considering what football outsiders had to say in regards to their win expectancy. And then going back to the Broncos-Commanders game, like we touched on from the beginning, Denver blows a 21-3 lead, but they did outgain Washington yards per play-wise, 6.4 to 5.9. Russell Wilson's fumble in the second quarter when the Broncos, mind you, had the ball up 18 points, and he didn't make an effort, it appeared, to jump back on the ball, and that really flipped the script, at least to me. But Miami is allowing the highest expected points added per carry across the NFL, and a lot of that came in week one, granted, but New England's offensive line woes and their depth really, uh, the Dolphins benefited from that going back to the week two game and the game we just mentioned or I just mentioned and New England's inability to establish the run considering their offensive line depth and them being banged up at, I think, at least two, if not three spots on their offensive line. Miami's secondary, though, is extremely exploitable, as we saw when Mac Jones went hurry up in that second half. I don't know why they didn't try it more in the first half or why it took being down 16 points to the Eagles in week one to go hurry up with Mac Jones, where he seems very comfortable. But Xavier Howard and Eli Apple, both below average when it comes to cornerback grade per pro football focus. And I also think this is a look-ahead spot potentially with Miami because you have Buffalo on on deck at Buffalo in week four. So a huge spot. So although Broncos are exploitable in their own right, especially when it comes to Damari Mathis as their outside corner, opposite of one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL and Sertan, I think this number is a little bit big at six and a half. And I would love to get a seven, which I could definitely see it get it back to later on in the week. How are you approaching or at least looking at uh, Denver, Miami, Stephen? I certainly see your point. I'll say this. uh, Denver better score in this game because with what my opinion now is of the Broncos defense, I don't think they're stopping Miami if they made Sam Howell look like Sam Howlitzer out there in the second half. So um, (laughs) I think that Miami should get their points in this one. Um, I think that... I would like a little bit better decision making from Mike McDaniel. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to blame Sanders for the blocked field goal. 
Um, and I will say I will blame Mike McDaniel at the, for the late 55-yard attempt when it was only fourth and three. I would have much rather seen Miami go for fourth and three than kick a 55-yard field goal. Um, and I hope that's a different decision if it ever presents itself again later in the season for McDaniel. So I, I think when healthy on the field, we have enough of a sample size now to say that Miami is one of the elite offenses in the NFL. I certainly hear your concerns about the defense and they still are not going to have Jalen Ramsey till second half of the year, maybe even closer to the playoffs uh, at cornerback. So if Denver can do what it did in the first half against Washington, sure, I can see them keeping pace here potentially if they can block up and protect against Fangio, who's uh, apparently been okay blitzing a little more than what we're used to in the past. But maybe that's what maybe that's because he sees what his personnel is and what is required at this point. Or maybe he's yeah. confident that he can leave his couple of his corners like Xavier and Howard out on an island if need be. So I, I certainly see your angle on that one for sure with how good the Broncos offense looked at times. Um, I'm no decision for me at this point though, but I, I at least just want to say that, um, any, any, uh, issues that you may have with the Dolphins statistically, I think you need to look hard at just the games where Tua, Tyreek and Waddle have been on the field for them because they have been absolutely elite when they have been together. One, and that's a great point. And I'm glad you mentioned it because Waddle did exit the Patriots game late with a concussion. So that's yeah, something to monitor too. It. Yeah. Keep an eye on it. If he's not out there and the dolphins have wide receiver depth, but just in terms of that secondary elite explosive playmaker, not Waddle. Good, right. I mean, Kill. after Waddle, you're look, looking at river Craycraft and Braxton Berrios. So to Berrios to, made a couple nice plays last night, but yeah, he's not Jalen Waddle. Right. To, to his credit, he completed passes to eight different receivers. So it's not like he's totally locked in on Waddle and Tyreek Hill. I thought he did a good job distributing and what Bill Belichick gave him. Um, considering only nine of his 21 completions were to Waddle and Tyreek Hill against the Patriots. But yeah, I 100% agree with you that if Waddle's potentially going to miss this game, then that kind of changes everything for the offense. It, it allows the defense to key in on Tyreek Hill and go single up against everybody else. And one more injury to note too, if Miami decides to rest Armstead at left tackle, or if he's not healthy enough to go for yet another game as he's missed the first two so far against a Denver pass rush that, yes, the enemy adjusted well in the second half against, and McDaniel could very well do the same thing. But Denver still, and maybe you get Frank Clark back. Again, these are all theoreticals, but the path is set up there, especially in a huge spot for Denver to have any shot to save your season. I understand the underwind total love that we saw from sharp batters going into the year and rightfully so, especially from what we've seen over the first couple of games collapse wise from the Broncos, but I'm going to continue to buy low on Denver most likely. And I'll probably get burned just like I did with the commanders earlier in the season last year until I got my revenge. Love Mims. Before. Marv Mims looks great, by the way. Yeah, he does. Javante Williams is not getting the touchdowns and maybe as many explosive runs as I would like for my fantasy team. By the way, we're going head to head this week in fantasy. Just oh. want to let you know. Apologies. Apologies in advance, buddy. <laughs> All <laughs> right. So now you have a couple games. I mentioned that I'm looking at Denver and I will very likely be on them 
And you'll probably see a bet pop up in our Discord channel. Again, link is over at thelines.com, top right-hand corner. You can find the best sportsbook promos as well. And shop around for the best numbers over at thelines.com. So, game that's very interesting and is correlated to the game we just touched on because it involves the Patriots. They're two, two two-and-a-half-point favorites at the Jets in Week 3. And this line on the look ahead, I believe, was one and a half, two, probably two in most spots. Total of 37 and a half, which is not a surprise when it's Mac Jones and this Patriots offense against Zach Wilson. And well, the Jets offense has talent outside of Wilson, but it is Zach Wilson. And that's all you need to say. So one thing to note or a couple things to note before we get into your handicap for this game. Cowboys and Jets were actually pretty even. When it comes to yards per play, despite the 20-point differential on the scoreboard to wrap it up, Dallas certainly benefited from going plus four in the turnover differential. And three of those turnovers, takeaways coming from Zach Wilson, three interceptions. And one thing to note for the Patriots' offense, going back to yesterday's game against a an exploitable Dolphin secondary explosive play rate across the NFL, going ranking in the second percentile in that particular category in week two. And now they're going up against one of the best defenses in the league, at least on paper. And I know Dallas put up 30 points on the scoreboard, but again, you look at yards per play and how they benefited from four takeaways. Prescott and that Cowboys offense, which wasn't super efficient, benefited from good field position. So Patriots, Jets, how are you handicapping this one, Stephen? Well, you know, I will first start and say that this is going to happen sometimes because of when we record this show on Mondays and Monday afternoons, games are going to move while we're recording. And this was probably going to be a bet for me, Patriots under three here. But as we've been recording, we're now looking at Patriots minus three, basically across the board, um, including a little more expensive one at one of our partners. So um, very quick market reaction to take the Patriots here, despite being on the road. And I suspect it's because they once again don't have confidence that Zach Wilson's going to be able to just play a clean game against Bill Belichick now this time. This this poor guy gets another shot, right? And his first two games are against Micah Parsons and company and Bill Belichick now. Like, you can't script it <laughs> any more difficult for Zach Wilson. It's, it's, it's terrible. Um, at the same time, like, to your point, Patriots haven't really moved the ball that great. Um, in the second half against the Eagles, I felt they did, but, but that was hurry up. Are yeah. they going? That was the point I brought up with when we were talking about Broncos and, and Dolphins in regards to the Dolphins defense. Are we going to finally see Bill O'Brien adjust and give Mac Jones right. maybe a little more command of this offense? Right. If, if Zach Wilson doesn't turn the ball over, I, I absolutely would be interested in Jets as a three point home dog here because the Jets' defense matches up really well against the Patriots. They, the Patriots don't have anybody that concerns me or makes me worry the way it's, you know a Dolphins offense or a Bills offense with Stephon Diggs does. Like, who who am I going to be afraid of on the Patriots' offense right now? Ramondre Stevenson? Like, they the offensive line is also banged up. So yeah, you know, check that injury report as well. So. You, I'm going to have to do a lot of soul searching here, Eli, because initially I thought I was going to come on this show and tell you I'm betting the Patriots under three, but that's gone now. And now I need to think really hard about, do I believe Zach Wilson 
can just not piss down his leg for once and take three as a home dog here because this is not a game where you know there's going to be a lot of points unless there's a pick six which is always possible with these two quarterbacks but um other than that you know it seems like getting three at home and just checking the total here i can't imagine it's a very high total you life i don't know if you have it in 37 front of you. and a half yeah 37 and a half and you're getting three with the home dog that's on paper that's pretty good if you can stomach zach wilson which you know stay tuned to the discord we'll, we'll find out at some point this week <laughs> well a couple more injuries to note outside of the patriots offensive line we saw their cornerback depth I mean, it was depleted last night with first Jonathan Jones and then Marcus Jones getting hurt, I think, midway through the second quarter or early on in the second half if it wasn't in the first half. So that's something to note. And then also Garrett Wilson exited the game late in the fourth quarter for the Jets. Oh, man. So you could be looking at Zach Wilson and Al Lazard as your quarterback, number one skill position, or at least wide receiver. And I mean, also play calling for the Jets. It's not just Mac Jones and the Patriots. Brees Hall was upset post game for just getting, whether it was four touches overall or four carries. And that's Nathaniel Hackett coordinating your offense. Yeah. <laughs> they should be able to run on New England, though. I mean, Raheem Mostert in a bad offensive line went for chunk plays and more than 100 yards rushing. So, But that's, to your point about betting against the Dolphins, not just when it comes to their passing offense. I mean, the rushing scheme is so elite, and that goes mm-hmm. back to Shanahan, too, when we yep. were touching on Niners-Giants. So not to say that's a, a lot of it is driven by scheme, but when we handicap the Jets and their ability and their offensive line, mind you, which has a lot of question marks despite the lack of injuries, which was a concern going into the year, a lot different for me than Dolphins, Patriots, just because of the elite coaching and elite scheme on that side of the ball. Yeah, I I will give everybody one bet here. I thought I was going to do Patriots, but I don't want to come on here and not give a single bet. So, you know, I know you don't like teasers as much as I do, Eli, but I'm going to give everybody (laughs) a teaser here. Uh, Jaguars down to two and a half at home against the Texans. Ravens down to two at home against the Colts. So just out of nowhere, you come out with two games that we haven't discussed yet. We'll talk more about it on the Megapod on Friday, but I felt bad that I, that my Patriots went out the window and, you know, if, if one of those teams loses to the Texans or Colts, so be it, right? We tip our, our cap, but uh, those two teams, big favorites, great offenses, down less than a field goal in a teaser feels really good this week. I never thought I'd hear you back, Baltimore, and Eddie, Eddie sense. <laughs> so I'm, I'm happy in that, in that regard. But one thing to know for the Ravens, too, I know they went into Cincinnati and won that game, and I was very impressed. I thought, I'm, I, Stephen, I don't know if you noted it when I wrote my betting preview for Bengals, Ravens going back to last week, but I thought Munkin went a little vanilla in that Texans game for a reason. And Lamar looked really good yesterday and against a Bengals secondary that I think you'll continue to see 
regression and we we touched down the line movement already in Rams Bengals but that has a lot more to do with the quarterback position rather than a decimated secondary especially at the safety position but I'll be inter- interested to see how the Ravens play it in in the sense of their injuries because like Miami they have a huge week four game at Cleveland so mm-hmm. are we going to see Baltimore go a little light in terms of rushing or not rushing but playing some of their key players that have been banged up so far like Humphrey who could theoretically be ready to play this week or do you get him even healthier in a game where you probably don't need him against whether it's Anthony Richardson coming off concussion protocol or Gardner Minshew and a Colts team that has a lot of defensive concerns even though you have Darius Leonard back and seemingly healthy on that side of the ball so I like your Jags teaser especially off of the Chiefs loss and against a Texans offense that is turnover prone or at least prone to dealing with a deficit like we saw in that Colts game yesterday. I think that Ravens game could be a little bit of a fight. And I don't want to say sandwich spots. I drive more so to college sports rather than NFL, but the Ravens are coming off of a huge win Mm -hmm. at Cincinnati especially considering they lost their last two games to the Bengals last year, and then they have a huge game on deck at Cleveland. So you wonder, foot off the gas pedal, and then who's going to be playing on the injury front? Yes, Harbaugh said post-game that Odell Beckham Jr. and Away, their defensive lineman who, or outside linebacker edge rusher that has performed the best out of any of their edge rushers to begin the season, it's not a long-term injury for either of those guys, but... Do they rest both of them just with the notion that you want them healthy for the Browns game? And among all their the rest of their injuries up front with Ronnie Stanley and their center, you don't have Dobbins right now and for the rest of the season. You don't have Marcus Williams probably till the second half of the year. So I'm really curious to see how Baltimore plays that game. And I think they... I could see a second half comeback similar to that Colts Monday Night Football game whether it was last year or the year before that, where they came back in overtime from like a double-digit deficit and won that game. I hope for your sake it doesn't happen, and I do want to give you credit for giving a bet uh, because your Patriots bet went out the window, at least so far. I appreciate it, man. I'm a man of the people. I try. I fire from the <laughs> All right, last game we're going to discuss, and I'll give you the floor to kick it off. Monday Night Football, second of two, after Rams and Bengals kickoff. Eagles and Bucks. This line was Philly minus seven and a half on the look ahead. It's down to six and a half, pretty much across the board, and a total of 45. How are you approaching this one? Handicap and spread and or total. I know you mentioned that you're kind of high on the Bucks in yeah. relation to the first two games. And since we've been recording here for 45 minutes, it moved again, Eli. I'm seeing five and a half and sixes now. So some early wow. money in on the Bucks, And I kind of understand why, because if you just look at it from a numbers perspective, you have a um, you have a Bucks team here who has faced the Vikings already and an Eagles team that has faced the Vikings already. So if you just kind of look at it from numerically, what were the spreads when those two teams faced the Vikings? And the the bucks were basically a four point road dog at close to the minnesota so take away a couple points for home field let's just say the market had tampa bay as about a two point two point underdog on a neutral field against minnesota roughly 
Eagles game at home against the Vikings closed around five and a half or six. So take away a couple points for home field. You could say the Eagles are about, uh, let's say, three and a half, four point favorites. So if you just go by that, then roughly the Bucks should be about a six point, um, a six point dog to the Eagles on a neutral field. But this game is in Tampa in prime time. So should the number really be six if you're giving any type of home field advantage? And I would say probably not. So uh, I am going to go and drive like hell to get across the bridge here. And and, because I I live in Kentucky and we're not legal for another 10 days or so. So I got to go to Indiana, but uh, I am going to bet the bucks at plus six here on Monday night football against the Eagles. Uh, I like what I've seen from Tampa. You know, I know that the, we've talked about this already a little bit that, I think the the expectations coming into the season were for the Bucks to be a bottom three team. Um, a lot of that is the depth of the roster. If they suffered key injuries to wide receiver or quarterback, they'd be shot and maybe tanking for the number one pick. But as constituted right now, in the present, this is much closer to a league average team, in my opinion. And Baker Mayfield, if you take away the first quarter of week one, he was actually a top 10 quarterback by EPA success rate for the rest of that game against Minnesota. And I thought played pretty darn well against Chicago as well, albeit Chicago is a dumpster fire. So um, I think they can at least keep this close here at home against the Eagles, who I think are trying to figure things out a little bit here with the way defenses are playing them now, having an offseason to prepare and figure things out and two new coordinators for Philadelphia as well. I've, I think they've been fine. They've covered week one. Luckily, they didn't cover and maybe should have lost that game if not for turnovers against Minnesota. So I think well, they still... did cover the closing number five they, and a half. Right. The closing for number, those yes, books that had most it. of the tickets did not cash those those Philadelphia yeah. bets. So yeah. you know, I I think they're still maybe um, trying to figure some things out here. And and Kelsey said as much on the post game show on Thursday Night Football as well. Um, teams are going to play them different. I think this offense is going to have to be patient which is going to mean far fewer blowouts than what we saw a year ago. Yeah, and to your point with this Eagles offense and Brian Johnson, who I think has done a terrible job with play calling over the first couple weeks, that's also on Sirianni to an extent too. But outside of the two explosive passing plays against Minnesota to Devonta Smith, Jalen Hurts 2.6 yards per attempt on Thursday Night Football against that Viking secondary. That's bad. What? That's terrible. He looks indecisive. He does not look like he's in sync with Brian Johnson, to say the least. He looks like he's missing Shane Steichen and then some. And then injury-wise, too, with the Eagles on defense, if Bradbury and Blankenship are out, which the market seems to expect, or maybe it's just the adjustment on the Eagles. And by the way, NFC East odds, Philly and Dallas, and I bet Dallas to begin the season at around plus 190, plus 195 to win the NFC East. It's pretty much plus 110 for both of those teams to win this division, and that's not surprising at all. Also, defensively, for the Eagles on the injury front, the Kobe Dean on injured reserve. But Bradbury and Blankenship, especially as it concerns this game, two important injuries to keep in mind. And then outside of the Eagles on the offensive side of the ball, as you mentioned with Baker Mayfield, 9.3 yards per attempt. These three quarterbacks, this is a heck of a stat. Hmm. 
these three quarterbacks finished one, two, and three in EPA per drop back in week two among qualified quarterbacks. Baker Mayfield, number one, which again is no surprise considering he played the Bears and I loved your your Bucks play going into the game yesterday at two and a half. Josh Dobbs against the Giants, journeyman Josh Dobbs, and Gardner Minshew in a backup role against the Texans. That wow. sums up the professional football league that Roger Goodell calls the NFL in <laughs> week two. I That is truly remarkable that we see those three quarterbacks atop the list. I hope every single quarterback tonight underperforms. So no one. So it stays overtakes. that way. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it stays that way. But to your point about the Bucs. So, and you mentioned this in the Discord or maybe just on Slack. And by the way, to your point about driving over the bridge, I know whenever you don't message your Slack or whenever you don't answer on Slack, you're probably driving over to somewhere in Indiana. That, is that obvious, somebody. though? Is that obvious? It's that obvious. Quote, changing I know you very locations, well. <laughs> going yeah. to work somewhere else, changing locations, going to, yeah, going to, I, going I, to I, Indiana to, to make a bet. <laughs> <laughs> so Tampa Bay is right now plus 450 to win the NFC South. You brought up that could be worth a sprinkle, and I don't hate that at all. Uh, off to a 2-0 start like we had on 2-0 outright, 2-0 against the number. They benefited, as you stated, from Justin Fields' incompetence and the Bears coaching staff, which you could say ad nauseum for the last half a decade or so. But it's not just Baker that's been impressive. Dave Canales, the Bucks first-year offensive coordinator who came over from Seattle that resurrected seemingly Geno Smith's career. Going back to last season, Smith put up career numbers. And so it's not just the quote-unquote quarterback whisperer that Canales seems to be, and this is his first year, mind you, as a clear-cut offensive coordinator, at least from the role being actually defined as just that. This scheme is so similar to what Baker ran in Cleveland because it's a zone offense that he ran under Stefanski. And Baker had one of his best seasons, and you can make the case his only good season when the Browns made the playoffs that one year. Going back to what, 2020, when they beat Pittsburgh in the wild card round and then lost to Kansas City. And that was a, a heck of a divisional game. And you would also expect the Bucks, from the standpoint that the Ravens may be resting and the, the Dolphins could conceivably also rest some of their guys this week with a huge week four game on deck. The Bucks arguably could have been resting. We don't know for sure, but Carlton Davis, one of the better cornerbacks on that roster and above average across the league at that position, was out against Chicago, and so was Kansi. He was one of the best young rookie defensive linemen in the NFL, and he's a candidate when it comes to defensive rookie of the year. I think he opened the year 20-1. Uh, to 1. So, yeah, I'm intrigued by this Bucks roster for sure. And, again, I don't think it's just Baker. I think Canales deserves a lot of credit. Obviously, the skill position talent is there at wide receiver, but... Man, Dave Canales has done a heck of a job with Baker, and the fit is just so good scheme-wise, too. It's a great observation by you. So much of of what we see in the NFL these days is is fit and chemistry and just being able to put players in the right place. Um, you see the complete opposite of that in Chicago right now. So it's it's absolutely true. And, you know, as long as Chris Godwin and Mike Evans are upright and healthy, they're they're amazing receivers. It's an amazing duo. 
And I think that's gotten lost a little bit with, um, you know, Tom Brady's decline since winning the Super Bowl and now Baker Mayfield taking over. They're amazing receivers. So that goes a long way into helping an offense for sure. And, and maybe even opening some things up in the ground game as well to take guys out of the box. So um, as constituted, the Bucks are far closer to a league average team potentially winning a bad division than they are being rated as the second worst team in the NFL before the season started. This division gets really interesting as we move along the rest of the way, because as Mo and I touched on in our preseason editions of beat the closing number and probably in week one at that Saints schedule, it's very easy. And I know you are a Derek Carr doubter, rightfully so, but Passing defense-wise, schedule sets up well for him. Falcons are set up on the defensive side of the ball. I mentioned Jesse Bates and what the Bengals lost lost at safety. Heck of an offseason pickup for Atlanta, and that defense is built to sustain what they built on the other side of the ball, even though Desmond Ritter has a ton of question marks. And then some, they're a run-first team and low ADOT, but unless Ritter is going to make terrible decisions, which he's probably gotten away with over the first couple of weeks, at least a, a few, a handful of decisions that maybe could have gone the other way. And he has also given away a couple of throws at that, but the running back tandem led by, or it should be led by Bijan Robinson, who's one of the offensive rookie of the year candidates. So Carolina, even if you get more competent quarterback play, from Bryce Young. We'll see how things go tonight. And like I mentioned, Stephen, you have a bet on both Monday Night Football games that our viewers and listeners can find in the Discord channel. Link is over at thelines.com in the top right-hand corner. You can price out for the best numbers and the best sportsbook promos there as well. I want to wrap with a futures bet that you may be betting and driving over the border maybe after we wrap this podcast. You're looking at Defensive Player of the Year. And even if you're not betting it, just to... Share it with our audience, sure. viewing and listening audience, who you're targeting potentially in regards to that market. You know, it's it's not often this early in the season that I bet a favorite in an awards market, but um, I think Micah Parsons is just taking over this league defensively. And there are some spots now where he is shorter than three to one after he opened the season around plus 750. But as we record right now, there is one plus 340 available, and you can use the prop finder tool at the uh, thelines.com to find that just under the odds tab. And just my eye on this, Eli, is, is if it's not going to be Parsons, then who? And at this point in my mind, it's going to require an injury for Parsons not to win this award, which is a violent sport, certainly possible, but... I would much rather have a Parsons ticket in my account with a, a lower payout than um, taking a long shot on somebody here in this market who isn't going to beat Micah Parsons if if Parsons stays healthy. This is the premier I mean, Garrett, defense I, in the I, NFL. I, and I do agree with that sentiment, but Miles Garrett and TJ Watt have to be right there too. Are they, they are going, on the odds board. Are they going to win 11 games, though? Like, Because that's the other part of this handicap. Is We don't like to talk about it as much, but usually it's it's not quite the same as MVP, but it's close. Like, You need to win games to win this award as well. So are do we think the Browns or the Steelers are going to win 11 games or so? You know, I think we're both pretty confident that the Cowboys are 
11, 12, 13 win team this season, maybe even more if they hit their ceiling. Right. So um, that to me is is the situation. I think Parsons is playing at an all world level. And if they're all on the field and they're all healthy, I just don't think Garrett or Watt are going to a have the production that Parsons does or B, get nearly the same number of headlines that Micah Parsons gets. And that's the other part of this handicap is people vote on this. It's an it's a it's voters that you have to take into account here, not just your personal opinion of a player. So even right. if it's close, even if Garrett maybe has one more sack than Parsons, are they going to vote for him over Parsons if he's healthy with some of the advanced metrics and all the articles that are going to get written about him? So I, I'd rather have the, the Parsons ticket in my account right now. Steven making smart decisions and giving out smart analysis, even after maybe a hangover from Bruno Mars last night. I don't know what you guys, you and your wife decided to do Listen, pregame wise or when you have two old, young kids, Eli Sunday concerts are rough. That's a tough turnaround to a Monday morning, getting the kids to daycare. Okay. But Bruno Mars doesn't come to Louisville, Kentucky very often. So you got to make it happen. I'm on the verge of, or I'm I'm not on the verge. I'm planning a wedding as we speak, trying to plan a wedding. And it I, makes I me... tried to get Bruno number so, so to be your wedding singer, but you know, he's, <laughs> he's booked. He was booked. Yeah, I you know planning a wedding kind of makes me not want to have kids, but I <laughs> will probably I will probably have to turn that around. You know, a lot of a lot of opinions being thrown around. Let me just say that. But Micah Par- Parsons, to your point, and there are I, you messaged me this before we got started. I think he opened the year at plus seven hundred before week one. So there's a plus four hundred available. To your point, you can find over at thelaunch.com and just click on the tab under. Any futures market for the NFL under NFL futures, and you can click on Defensive Player of the Year. He's as high as plus 400, as short as plus 135, and still plus 340 at FanDuel if you just have a couple different sports books. We obviously urge you to get the best of the number and price shop, and it'll help you out. It's not just a benefit or us giving you reasonable and sound advice. It helps you out to price shop every week and get the best of the number, but there are, there is a discrepancy in the market in regards to Micah Parsons' Defensive Player of the Year odds for sure. So we're taking a note of, as Stephen mentioned. But anything you want to wrap with Stephen before we end the podcast, besides very sound and reasonable wedding advice, um, try to avoid Sunday night concerts. <laughs> um, don't think about kids while you're planning a wedding. Save it for later. And get the best of the number is a great advice. Ask the people who didn't get the best of the uh, of the the Eagles Vikings number. Ask the people who didn't get the best of the Packers Falcons number. Get the best of yeah. the number. No, Cash your bets. That, that line is a perfect example, and I tweeted about that yesterday because it was as high in the Falcons direction as plus two and a half midweek before news came out and the assumption was somewhat there but that Aaron Jones and Lazard not Lazard Christian Watson could I was thinking of the old Packers mm-hmm. <laughs> could both could both miss that game and they did and and the line flipped and for anybody that bet Packers plus three you cash that so you could have middled even though it's a pretty slim margin there and 
bat Falcons at plus two and a half or anything lower or outside of a pick them and, and come back the other way on Packers plus three and cash both bets if you want to get a little risky. But really fun podcast with Steven Andres. Be sure to follow him at Steven Andres. One, you can follow me on Twitter at Eli Herskovich. Mo will be back on Thursday's edition of Beat the Closing Numbers. So for Steven, for myself, Eli Herskovich, thanks for watching and listening to another edition of Beat the Closing Number. So long, everybody. Mm-hmm.